This is Daryl Skelton. Wherever I count to five, I think of top five comics. Welcome to Top 5 Comics, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the Sultan of Sauerkraut, Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> we have the old mustard that separated and turned kind of orange, Ross. Hi. Sounds gross. We got the ants at the picnic with CVS. Because <laughs> I'll eat anything, I guess. <laughs> we have the men bringing the mysterious meat. Maybe it's dog, maybe it's kitten with Rob. <laughs> dog, dog, kitten, meat. He's been busy all weekend along the side of the road. Grinding it up. We, we like, kill it, you grill it. Like one of those dancing monkeys, except for shooting meat at them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And not playing any music. <laughs> what he's trying to say is don't come to the barbecue unless you bring your own food. Yeah. Now ride. B-Y-O-F. <laughs> but you're welcome. Hey, thanks for traveling. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Man. Uh, bring your own beef, is that what that was? Bring your own F. food. No, I <laughs> didn't. Bring your own food. <clears throat> B-Y-B, bring your own beef. B-Y-O-B. Yeah. There you go. The same letters, but different meaning. Anything else? No. Bueller, Bueller. I say something about uh, our name for Batman suit. Oh, for the Batman versus Superman. Yep, I don't think Curtis has heard about this yet. Uh-uh. What suit is he wearing, Ross? The Batman versus Superman. He's wearing the anti-Superman suit. What kind of suit is that? The ASS suit. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> to the ass suit. Exactly. <laughs> Bring me my leather chaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not just barely starting. Everything's okay. Ready? Nice. That's what I get. All right. So today we're doing episode number 75. <laughs> All right. Ah, uh, man. Okay, so books, uh, they were doing Cyborg number nine, uh, International Iron Man number one, Delete number one, Batman number 50, and Hyperion number one. Yay! Ah, Yay! Huzzah. And then we also have a interview from, uh, Mick Gray, uh, inker over at, uh, DC Comics, been in the biz for, uh, close to 20 years. Inked a few of our favorites and mm-hmm. friends with a couple couple of the guys that we are friends of the show, Pat Gleason and the guy's been around for a while. He's, he's done some, done quite a lot of books. A pretty good interview. He's a really cool guy. Made a big impact for that Batman and Robin eighteen. Yes, the silent one. Oh yeah, his inks and that were phenomenal. I'm not saying they aren't anyway, but well, yeah, with that one, the with the words removed. I mean, Mick's got the ability to make lines have personality, mm-hmm. so that's just awesome. It's really cool, because that's not something I think a lot of the general public think about when they think about comics, and it totally Unlikely. makes a huge difference with oh, yeah. all of it. See, in a lot of, a lot of books, you can you can definitely tell the <clears throat> folks that know what they're doing and don't. Well, a lot of inkers are finishers. True. Because uh, the, the artists will now rough sketch stuff, and then the inkers come in to finish stuff, so they're actually artists in their own right. Right, and we actually talked about that a little bit in the interview, too. Oh, not, my not bad. a lot, a little bit. No, no, it's good. 
But yeah, um, so that so stick stick around for that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Peter Griffin laugh. It was. <laughs> That's terrible. <clears throat> All right, well, let's start with a little bit of uh, news from Ross in the dog pile. God damn it. <laughs> well, you know, Ross. I don't know a lot this week, but... I do know that well, we've seen some of the Hanna-Barbera DC stuff today, and we haven't heard a lot more about it, but a lot of it looks crazy. What were you showing me a picture of earlier? We are seeing Wacky Raceland earlier. Which looks crazy. Yeah, it looks out of control. Yeah, it actually looks super hardcore. Like, a lot of the characters look like they're more inspired by G.I. Joe than they ever were by Hanna-Barbera. Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get. It's <laughs> pretty good. Good job. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Tomorrow, this is kind of weird news, but tomorrow they're announcing all the rebirth stuff. Supposedly, rebirth tiles coming out from the uh, DC. No, well, yeah, DC oh, is the company, but the, the show is like Wizard World, I think. Oh, okay. WonderCon. WonderCon. Yep, but we haven't seen. Um, I mean, we've learned about the titles already, like the names of them. Tomorrow they're supposed to be announcing creators as well. But we've seen kind of some teaser pictures of things that are going to be in there. And some of them are kind of surprising, like things that we haven't heard of before. Um, my favorite one that I showed you guys was the Damien and pre-New 52's Superman's son in a team-up book, it looks like. And they haven't said any names or anything yet, so it could not be what it is, but that's an awful lot what it looks like. Could very well be Secrets and Lies. That's a good title. I like it. <laughs> well, I'm really interested to see what that means for the clone Superboy. Mm-hmm. That's Steve and I were talking about that the other night. We were wondering if if they actually thought that through that far. If... No freaking way. Because, like, Superboy, Clone Superboy is supposed to be from the son of Lois and Superman from the future. Well, if this is Lois and Superman's son from the pre-New 52 world, which is now in the current world, does that mean those things connect? Maybe. Lies. <laughs> Hopefully not, because I'm done with Harvest. I don't ever want to uh, see him again. Right, good point. DC should be done with Harvest. But, but when are they going to collect the fruit, Rob? The different kind of harvest. Oh, maybe. okay. I didn't understand what was going on. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that if that is what that is, we get a Damien and Goliath with Superman's son and Crypto. So that'd be awesome. <laughs> anyway, awesome. probably my I'm the only one that hopes that, but I think it'd be awesome if we saw it. Well, we could see him without without Crypto too. Downside is, you know, there's some great kid characters that would be awesome to have seen in there, like seeing Aquaman's son as a part of it. Mm-hmm. He has um, no son in the new universe. No, he doesn't. No son! No, like that whole story is lost. Um, but yeah, who else is another great, like, next generation character that would be kind of cool to see in there? I mean... I don't know about, uh, about New 52, but I remember... Pre-New 52, I think it was in the Supergirl book, actually, where they had a team-up of Supergirl, 
and Batgirl, the Stephanie Brown Batgirl, Damien, and then uh, Wally West's kids. Okay. I only had to do the Dolly and the Sun Bowl. Yeah, the twins. Yeah. Mm. Anyways, I'm sorry. Let's continue on. Nonsense. Yeah. Anyway, and then we also saw a Green Lantern. I mean, they're just like a little... Uh, the flashes of the characters behind the logos or whatever? Yeah, basically. Yeah. They, they actually show them in color, though, instead of them just being outlined this time. Right. And it, it's definitely uh, powering from Justice League right now. Silly. Which, I, they, I mean, honestly, they've been leading up to that since end of Jeff Johns' Green Lantern, so... Future predictions, Jeff Johns. Yeah, not a super big surprise there. Uh, it's disappointing. I think that's that's about all I, I have kill the news of that Ross. You know, I don't hate Power Ring. I just I just feel like Johns left all these open tethers, and he's like, "Everybody do what I want," and then that didn't happen. So now we're gonna rebirth the universe so we can just do it himself. No, am I the only one? No, he's kind of right. I hate the name itself, so I got nothing to say about it. You hate powering? <clears throat> the rebirth. Oh, okay. Understandable. Well, I guess the real question is, is are we going to dig up Baz again and try to make him important to make that story work so that Jeff Johns' future prognostications are correct? Maybe if they do Baz and Badge team up. Yeah, well, if they'd done that from the beginning, that would have worked out. Because, I mean, that's a great team up. I like that. Heck yeah, Squirrel running around with the dude with the Middle Eastern tattoos and possible terrorists. Baz so. is kind of a nut, so hey. a squirrel and a nut. Yeah. Hey. Oh, wow. I just like the idea that you know, Baz feels like he's hardcore, and so to be taught by a flying squirrel with a power that's ring, awesome. like that's that's great. I mean, it's a great buddy cop thing in the making right mm. there, but whatever. It'd be awesome because then occasionally he'd carry him around in his pocket because he's a squirrel. What pocket? The one he made with his ring? If he's wearing a regular <laughs> shirt, come on. Let's say they go out to the movies or something. Just because this girl can talk, that people aren't going to sell him a ticket. He'd be like Cyrano de Bergerac? Yeah. Is he, he going to wear clothes, to too? What? Is he going to wear clothes, too? Well, Ross, we want to keep him decent, yes. Yeah, we want Baz to be de- decent. Gosh, man. Yeah. Of course the guy's going to wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> I just pictured them wearing, like, matching suits going into places Oh, now. you're talking with the squirrel. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Silly. Oh my god. Yeah. Any other news, Curtis? No? Rob? Uh, not comic news. I mean, Fallout, the Termatron DLC is available. So you're playing Fallout 4? Yeah. There you go. They did, on the game side of things and comic side of things, like totally space this out until just now, but they announced uh, Batman Telltale games. So I don't know if anyone's really uh, heard anything about this yet, but the Telltale games were like a more, like a a game where you read a lot and you make decisions, basically, is the whole thing behind them. Is that like that Walking Dead game? Yeah, they did mm-hmm. The Walking Dead, and they did Fables, Wolf Among Us, and I think they did a Minecraft story mode game. Yeah, Is that an iOS thing, or is it an actual... It's an actual game. I think it's on iOS, too, but it, they're built for, like, uh, PlayStation and Xbox. So, And it'll be an M-rated game, which, I, I don't know. That means manure. Yep. I don't think that's... Oh. 
I think your rating system is not quite right. You think it's the shits? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something different. Oh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, that's kind of cool to know. I, I guess I it could stand for Montezuma. It could stand for a lot of things. <laughs> but then it would be MR, which would be Montezuma Revenge. I think we're talking no. about different things now. Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think it'll be cool because I guess uh, half the game is based off of what you do as Bruce Wayne. And half of it is Batman. So I'm guessing that means the Bruce Wayne part is trying to keep your secret, too. Like, as a as a game mechanic, which is kind of crazy. Oh, interesting. That might be kind of cool. Yeah. Sounds boring. I think they all kind of do, but when you play them, they're which one pretty have you fun. Played? I've played parts of The Walking Dead one. Was there a lot of reading? Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, man. I, we've got several people that have come in and told us that they really enjoy the uh, Wolf Among Us. The yeah. Wolf Among Us. Mm. So, you know, it's, it'd probably be pretty good. I imagine so. It's good stuff. Are those the same people that read Fables? Uh, they, oh, there are a couple of them started reading Fables, Wolf Among Us, the book, after the game. Yeah. Before that, uh, no one was reading Fables. Okay. I'm yeah. done because I'm not going to talk crap. Uh, <laughs> that nobody actually reads Fables. I don't ever. think so. So They all love it. But nobody reads it. Nobody reads it. Yeah. That's why it's over now, right? No, that's true. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess it's enough of that nonsense. Uh, we'll move <laughs> on to some books. Yeah. Why not? Right. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. So uh, we'll have uh, Robin Ross, <laughs> like one person, Robin Ross, <laughs> no? <laughs> that was a story about Cyborg, number nine. Right. So a lot of stuff's happened with Cyborg uh, since the beginning of the series, but uh, for this issue we have writer David F. Walker and Felipe Watanabe. And... Uh, Julio Ferreira, doing the pencils. When you nod your head, Ross, people can't hear you nod. No. <laughs> Go on. That's true. So, one of the big things that's happened since the beginning of the series is that Cyborg's tech's been changed. Along with that, there's been a whole lot of other people that have been given um, tech from this other group that, that was claiming that Cyborg's tech was stolen from them. Right, that's where the story actually started off, back at issue one. Yeah. So, in the last issues, Cyborg was actually able to change his physical appearance to be completely human. Even with all of his robotics on there. But he didn't want to let the rest of the world know that yet. Because he wasn't sure what it meant. So, beginning this issue, um, what we find out is that the government is trying to push through a bill where they're going to sanction all this uh, cyborg tech and that everybody who has been affected with it or has tech in them will have to come down to this certain company and the tech will be removed and replaced with uh, their own manufactured versions of it. So basically it would be illegal to be an unregistered cyborg with this uh, future or I guess like an alien technology inside mm-hmm. of you. So, so that means Cyborg would have to register to be Cyborg. Basically. But the big thing is Cyborg is looking into it 
and his big fear is that they would um, they would harvest all the technology from him, take it apart, reverse engineer it, and the abilities that Cyborg have has far exceed what people think. Along with that, there's things that he can do that he's never done. That if it could be weaponized, could turn into weapons that would directly affect the Justice League. I'm sure the amount of abilities and then like things he can do gadget wise, we don't know his limits yet, really. Yeah, because he talks about being able to make a certain amplified sound that could actually liquefy Superman's brain. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. The other thing that makes this a big deal is that everybody who goes through this process will have to have a inhibitor chip basically put into them. And the idea is that the, the company's trying to sell it on the idea that, oh, if, if uh, people get out of control with their new cyborg limbs, well, there'll be a safeguard that'll shut it down. But what they didn't tell the rest of the public, basically, is that this company would have access to actually take over the host's body and use any of those cybernetic components to their own ends. It's pretty jacked up, right? That's crazy. But um, basically, while it's going through Congress, Cyborg develops this plan, and he talks to each of the members of the Justice League separately about what he's planning to do. Because he's pretty pretty sure that it's going to go through. And it's actually only, like, Superman who's really, like, surprised Mm-hmm. that the government would want to register and control all these new cybernetic people and would know that they would be able to manipulate humans. Which is kind of funny, because that's more like a old Superman and less like new Superman to me. It's true. I could, I could totally see older Superman just completely trusting the government and new Superman being like, hating everything. Yeah. But um, one of the things that comes out in this story while he's developing this plan and getting the okay of the rest of the Justice League is that he reveals how far his tech has has come, how much it's grown, so that it's it becomes a question of whether this is mechanical or whether this is organic, mm-hmm. and how much of what his tech is is him and how much of it is something else by revealing that he could become human. Along with that, Bruce Wayne also reveals himself to Cyborg, not, not in that way. Reveals his identity. <laughs> didn't I can feel your look. Didn't he actually do that before though? I thought in, in the regular Justice League story he revealed his identity. He's revealed his identity to Green Lantern. Oh he, that's he right. He may have revealed it to the rest of the Justice League at this point. I don't know. But, but he that definitely sure. does take off his cow in this issue, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they kinda make a big deal of it, so I assume that this might be the first time. Yeah. Probably. Well, at least for Cyborg, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if Cyborg was there at the beginning of the other stuff or not. He might have been. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, um... Old data, go on. <laughs> but basically, this this whole story is about Cyborg initiating this plan. This plan to try to, like, really find out what's going on with these people that are harvesting this tech... And how he can get in without letting them know that he's letting himself get there. Mm. So we'll probably kind of have to end it there. But there was a lot of really cool kind of story building stuff in this issue. And I kind of felt like Cyborg is a little bit more human with the rest of the Justice League. Yeah. In this issue as well. Yeah, a lot of really good character interactions in general between Mm. him and the other members of the Justice League. Yeah. Uh, Particularly with Shazam. I was going to say, yeah, there's a lot of Shazam interaction in there. Which Shazam actually shares the cover, so... Yeah, and that's actually been one of my favorite parts about 
new 52 Justice League so far has been how Cyborg and Shazam have kind of formed this really close friendship, and it's cool to see them, because they're both, like, kids, basically, and... Well, I mean, younger, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cyborg's Cyborg's definitely an older teenager or 20-something, but... Yeah, compared to the rest of the team, he's he's the new kid on the block. Yeah. Like the band? No? Yep, just like the band. Perfect. (laughs) Uh, Robbie, I score for that book. Uh, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very good read. Um, I'd put it probably at 375, I think, probably. I, I I liked what they did with it. Uh, Shazam feels really good, and I think Cyborg... Like, this is a pretty compelling story for Cyborg, and that's been kind of a, a hard thing for me. You know, it, even as a Teen Titan fan, was finding stories that I really liked about Cyborg. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I thought this was good. Right on. Yeah, uh, Mr. Curtis? I'll give it a three and a half. Three and a half? Yeah, I'll give it a three and a half. All right. <laughs> Mr. Ross? I'm definitely going to give it a three and a half as well. Art was okay in it, and the story was really cool, and the character interactions were awesome in it. So, I, I do like to know, I actually really liked the artwork for it. I thought it was fantastic. So Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, it, it was good. Okay is, is not a good enough word for it. You're right. <laughs> it's, all it's all right, Ross. all right. Um, yeah, you know, I fall soon give it a three and a half. I mean, Cyborg so far has been fairly decent. I mean, I'll give you, there's still questions in there as, like, what's going on. But as far as setup is concerned, we got a lot of cool things in this particular issue, and the cover is awesome. So, but yeah, I give it three and a half also. Um, so let's move on to the International Iron Man number one. Yeah, International Iron Man's a little bit tricky in how, how they're doing the series. Um... Brian Michael Bendis is doing the, the writing. I know that one. I can't mess that one up. So, <laughs> uh, Alex Malavir is doing the art. I can mess that one up, though. So, And then Paul Montas is doing the color. Um, the big thing for International Iron Man is that rather than just continuing the adventures of Iron Man like we are in Invincible, International is dealing with Tony finding out his past. Um, before this latest relaunch of stuff, we found out that Tony is not a Stark, that he has another parentage, but we've never really looked into his actual family yet, and so I think a lot of this title is going to be about that. But um, the way that they kind of tell that story is actually taking us back to the past, so we catch up with a probably mid-college Tony Stark. Right, like where it takes, it doesn't just take place in the modern time, it takes place throughout, I assume it's going to continue to take place gener- generationally throughout his past, probably even when he's a kid. It's hard to say. It begins right where we are now, and then kind of falls back to this past to kind of fill out who this character is. To kind of fill out who this character is that's going to be important for this story. Um, But basically, Tony has... He's left the U.S. He's in England, I guess, pursuing his his degree. And we kind of see a Tony that's much different. He's he's not really into the party scene, but he still, you know, has that 
one Tony Stark kryptonite. The ladies. <laughs> it's just not the drinks and the ladies yet. But uh, the woman that he gravitates to is named Cassandra Gillespie. And she's going to wind up being something that's going to be very important to who Tony Stark is and who his family is, like his real family. But he basically pursues her in this story, and she's a big-time kind of... Uh, she's the daughter of a large tech manufacturer in England. And so she's kind of a big deal in the college scene. And she has bodyguards that will do whatever the, the mother says is, is appropriate. So he like the first time he meets her, he winds up being tased by the bodyguards. That's what you get. It's going to make you happy, Curtis. Tasing Tony Stark. <clears throat> but um, kind of as that relationship deepens, he winds up being uh, connected to her family. And we kind of find out how like uh, dysfunctional, I guess, the Starks are. How he has not had any contact with his father for like three months or four months and that he's paying his own way and really doesn't have anything to do with the Starks that much. But we also start finding out a little bit of the dirty laundry of the Gillespies. And uh, there's a pretty big thing that happens towards the end of the book, so we don't want to give that away. But suffice to say, Cassandra Gillespie is going to be something that's important in our current timeline. And she has something to do with his actual birth family. So this might be a real interesting story to go with Iron Man. It's definitely not going to be the big saving the world kind of stories. But if you're interested in a, in a kind of more intriguing, smaller story, that's what international is going to be, at least for the first part. All right. Um, Robbie, you going to score for that book? I, I liked it a lot, actually. I'd give it a three and a half. Interesting art style. I really like uh, Bendis. There is some dialogue in here that was a little off to me. But for the most part, I, I actually think the book turned out really well, and I enjoyed reading it. So. Uh, Curtis? I'll give it a two. Not an Iron Man fan? Never have been, never will be. <clears throat> so I don't care about him. Take that, Tony Stark. It, it was a little weird that he didn't have a mustache in college. No rights for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Mr. Ross. I'd probably give it a three. It's already been said. <laughs> give it a three as well. A little different, at least. Different take than stuff that we've had currently. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if I like this whole idea that... Tony's never, he was never a Stark. <laughs> I, I don't like that whole thing, really. So, book-wise, I mean, this particular issue was good. And that, being that's what we're doing, then I guess we just have to roll with it, right? But, I give it a three, but I still don't like that concept. Just, I do, yeah, I don't like that concept. Yeah, I understand. I, I get what you're talking about. You know, they've done this a few times recently, and it, and it really does rub me the wrong way to go with... with well, let's go back into the origin and make a character that really has no importance be something bigger. We don't need to go back and, and throw dirt on Captain America's dad. Tony's dad, Captain's dad, any yeah, of yeah, yeah, there's no reason for it. It's just not something that we need. And honestly, like, Tony Stark's mom, dad, cousins, uncles, who cares? You know, he, he, they're not what made Iron Man. But it's done, and so now we have to dig around and, and still deal with it. Clean out the closet, that's what it's called, right? 
That's what that's called. I missed a word in there. Cleaning out the <laughs> closet. There you go. <laughs> I did just the word wasn't there when I said it. <coughs> oh. If it's any consolation, I don't know which word you missed because I try not to listen to you. Oh, man. <laughs> it, it hurts inside. Like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most of them in the bathroom. <sighs> All right, let's move on to what got me. Such a mess. Um, delete, Mr. Curtis? Delete. By the writing powerhouse of Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray from Devil's Due First Comics. From Devil's Due and First Comics. Sorry, right. there was a word I missed in there. I don't know if you Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, it happens. It goes around. It does have an Amanda Conner cover, obviously, because she's attached to Jimmy. But uh, John Timms is the artist, and Bill Tortellini is the letter. Sorry, I struggled through that name, and that name made me laugh a little bit. Tortellini? It's pretty <laughs> Anyway. Cool. So there's a little write-up at the beginning of this. Should I read that write-up? Let's read the write-up. Okay. For you those waiting at home, um, if we erase our memories, or if we erase our memories, do we erase ourselves in the process? And a future when technology can implant or remove human memories and police use brain scan technology and criminal investigations, a mute girl must turn to an intellectually disabled handyman for protection after her parents are brutally murdered. Yeah. On the run from an army of hitmen and who will stop at nothing to kill them, it is revealed that the girl is carrying implanted memories that threaten to expose a conspiracy. So that is the review of the book. I would give it a... <laughs> uh, you're right. I mean, that paragraph is basically the... I know. But we don't know how we get to it. That's true. It's all about getting there. So anyway, we open up on a city scene. This is the near future sci-fi book-ish. Um, and uh, we have a... Presumably a mother and father talking about buying gifts for the children. And her child, mother's name, I believe, is Yelena, and child's name is Kalina. I think so, yeah. So they get to their apartment complex, and they're met by Mr. Spencer, who is their handyman. And then we get into their apartment, and they're uh, de-dressing because it's outside, and it's snowy outside. And Yelena comes up on something that says, turn me on, on the TV. She turns it on, and there's a dude on there, and uh, they know that they've been found out. So they've been running from somebody for some reason, and this guy is after <clears throat> the, the girl. The, and the girl is mute, and that's uh, Kalina, right? I, I think it's Kalina, yeah. Kalina. So they decide, oh, crap, we've been found, and they see there's a live feed on their TV that somebody's outside of their house, or they, there's a picture of their... Uh, apartment complex and it's a live feed so her husband goes in and starts looking for stuff and they're trying to pack to leave and um, her husband goes into the kitchen and finds some matches and looks at the stove and we kind of all know what happens when those two mix um, it's usually bad y Yelena and Kalina are, <laughs> are in the front room Kalina doesn't know what's going on and uh, her mom puts on these glasses that kind of scramble her face uh, like a hologramish scramble. I don't know exactly. I think what it what it's actually for is to block her vision, so she doesn't have any memory of what happens. So she can't see it. The police can't read what she saw. So I want to say it blocks her vision, but I, it's hard to say exactly what they do because they're like percept a perception blocker. Mm -hmm. So it may just block the memory. Maybe I, I don't totally know because. She clearly can't see through it unless it's see-through on the inside. And she clearly doesn't know what the hell's going on. Right. 
And she's about 11-ish, I believe. Yeah, 11 or 12, sure. So, husband's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to distract him. You get the hell out. And we look outside and we see, like, a group of SWAT members all in black SWAT gear. And they see four of the door detonate it, blast it open. Before they do that, he's like, hey, I love you. Go wait in the bathtub. Because, obviously, something's going to go down. And, uh... So they enter, and uh, the husband kind of does a little defensive tactics and gets one of them across the throat. He gets thrown into the kitchen. They enter the kitchen. He lights a match because he turned the stove on. causes a big explosion. Um, his name is Yuri, I guess. I forgot that. Anyway, two pop out of the bathtub. They're like, what the hell is going on? They run through the front room, and uh, the mom picks up a gun, and she gets shot in the back and they run through the door everybody inside has been kind of taken out but one of them's like you're never gonna leave alive and uh... he gets up shoots her and she shoots him back evidently she gets shot in the throat we don't see that it's, it's, well, the, the, way I, the way I read it, the, when she shoots him, it looks like there's a there's a sound effect next to his gun. Oh, no, yeah, you so can see it, but you don't see that she gets shot. No. So it's kind of like, oh, crap, what the hell happened to her? Right. She didn't get shot that first time because the panel before that, she was fine. But anyway, they make it out to the hallway. They meet Spencer there. Um, they're coughing, gasping. Spencer's like, oh, what the hell's going on? i got to get you to the hospital. He picks her up. Um, she's like, no, just protect my child. So he puts her back down. She dies in the door in the on on the landing of the stairs, and uh, Spencer and little uh, Kalina take off outside, and they take off down the street while the police are en route to the call. And uh, so we see a little investigation going on, and we find out that uh, they have this brain scrambler inside the apartment, and they've been trying to scramble brains, but it's a lower tech than usual. So if they continue to do that, they could cause brain damage. But they don't know if they were actually doing that or what they were trying to do. And before this, uh, uh, Yelena tells Spencer something that is kind of important with the book. Right. So um, so they go and find the remains that uh, one of the dudes is uh, a Serb from a gang. Right. And he's illegal in the country. But he was dressed up in, in police gear. Police gear, yeah. Well, he, all of, all the guys they wind up naming are like from different countries: Russians, Serbians, uh, all tactical like assault type criminals. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the way they were dressed is all in SWAT gear, yeah. And and they say, yeah, well, they dressed as police so they wouldn't cause, have anybody, you know, looky looing on them. Yeah. But then one of them's like, well, if somebody saw the police in this neighborhood, they were going to take off anyway. Right. So they did that on purpose. And then we find out uh, who Yuri actually is, and he's a machinist uh, out of Slovakia, and he's also illegal in the country. So we go through a little more of the investigation, and this is where they talk about the uh, the scrambler uh, mindware, and it's extremely dangerous. And that's where it's going to scramble somebody's brain if they continue to do this. And they don't know if they were doing that or what they were trying to do, so they're trying sure. to figure that out. Yeah. And they kind of dismiss the girl because they find out she they had a daughter and they kind of dismiss her that one of them does and like well everybody's dead we don't need a witness and uh, then they talk about Spencer a little bit find out that all the tenants he is the handyman for the building but all the tenants don't even have a last name for him they don't know who he is uh, he's not in any police file so there's something up with Spencer that's very uh, it's pretty good 
So uh, we cut back to Spencer and Elena and or Kalina. Spencer's like, I don't, I can't read your hands. I don't know what you're saying, because obviously she's deaf and she can't talk. Right. He's he doesn't know sign language at all. So they come up on uh, the police come up on him and Elena uh, uh, takes off and runs down down the subway. Uh, the police give chase. He goes into a subway train. The police follow him in. He breaks the door open on the other side, and the train takes off with the police in it. So he doesn't have to worry about police now, which is a very cool scene. Because everybody thinks that Spencer is kind of a lug, and uh, they say retarded in the book, so I'm going to say it. Right. Um, so it kind of shows that he does have some thinking, and there's more to Spencer than what everybody knows. Yeah, whatever, whatever's going on with him isn't... It isn't fully describing him being handicapped or being slow. Right. Because he was smart enough to know to get him in there and trap him, which is pretty good. So then the police go to Spencer's apartment, and they find that it's there's no not a speck of dust. It's clean. It's like an OCD person lives here. And I'm assuming that that's so there's no trace of Spencer anywhere. Either that or maybe he's brainwashed himself a few times. I mean, who knows? Right. I, I think that he's he's somebody more than what everybody knows. And uh, he's trying to keep him himself from being identified. Well, yeah, and they talk about the area they live in. Also, most of the people there have criminal backgrounds. Right. That's why when the police show up, they all turn the eye and go the other way. So they, they make it sound like the area they live in is, is for people hiding. Mm-hmm. So then we cut back to dude who was on the screen at the beginning and saying, hey, I'm coming for the girl. And he's talking to one of his contacts, contacts who has somebody in the force and uh, he's talking about the girl, and he's saying, we'll find the girl first, and we'll take care of her. And tell your contacts in the police department, don't go after her, try to keep them away from her. And uh, that's about where we end. And I think the pretty much the whole presti- or the, the intrigue on this one for me is Spencer. Um, I don't care about this guy who's looking for her. Right. Because I think Spencer's going to dispatch people. Because Spencer was telling her... Telling the girl, if we go back and turn ourselves in, we'll be fine because we didn't do anything. Right. So I don't know what's turned in his mind. Maybe the police shooting at him when he was running away. Quite possibly, um, yeah. But I think he had the right frame of mind. But him him saying that he wants to turn himself in, even though when they're out of his apartment and there's nothing there to identify who he is and nobody knows who he is, he's got something he's hiding. So I don't know. I, I, I actually like the book. And uh, the art in it is actually pretty. It's pretty good. Pretty yeah, good. It I really, like it. I was talking about that Dog Mendoza or the. Do- oh yeah, the well, from Dark Horse. Yeah, and it, the art kind of reminds me of that, but it's more refined. It's not as cartoony. Um, but it's a really good book. I like the I like the color palette that was chosen for it. It's not very dark. Um, no, it's like, like this. A- well, the story's dark. Right. But the colors don't have to match the story. Um, it's a good. It's a good. Uh, what is it called? environment i guess you could oh, say okay yeah so even though i do like jimmy palmiotti and i after meeting him i like him even more right um i haven't met justin gray yet but that doesn't i don't know it doesn't matter i'm gonna give it maybe four all right it was pretty darn good it was it was a good story um you know what three and a half let's do that i'm gonna give it a three and a half okay uh because no it's a good setup right because we don't know a lot about Spencer, we don't know a lot about what they were doing here anyway. Um, so it's a good, it's an actually good setup with a, a fair amount of action in it to keep you entertained, right? And the intrigues there, right? 
I'm Mr. Ross. Curtis stole my score, so... <laughs> And give it a two. No, just kidding. Oh man! I'm gonna give it a three and a half. It's not Iron Man. <laughs> no. I'm gonna give it a three and a half as well. All right. I really like when there's that kind of tonal difference between the story and the artwork. Mm-hmm. Not that they don't work together, but right. just when you have that darker story with a lighter color and well, you get a lot of dark and dark with DC mm-hmm. nowadays, and a lot with uh, God dang Dark Horse. Oh um, yeah, they do a lot of dark on dark. Mm-hmm. So I like I like having the story because, in essence, underlining it's a very dark story, but the color palette is just right for it. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you get kind of a jarring effect when that happens, but I think this works really, really good. Sorry. Yeah. No. I I just like it. I think it adds like some almost surprise to it because mm-hmm. you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting that to happen at or, all. With I that. can see everything. Yeah. This is weird. <laughs> anyway, so three and a half would be yeah, all right. right. Uh you know, I give it a four. Like I, Justin Gray and Jimmy, I, I like both of them. They've done a few other projects together, um, Kickstarter stuff together. Team wise, they do they do a good job. And they write a lot of books. There, yeah, there's there's quite a few that they've done. And as far as like the the books concerned, the art's great. I like I really like the way it looks. The story itself is it, I mean it's as far as the, the story is concerned, what 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 we read in this book I thought was fun and awesome. But it's uh, it's very much protector for the kids, lone wolf and cub, you know, which I think is a cool concept, especially since he's like a soul Ronin rather than like a parent figure, and the problems he's gonna have to deal with, like who he really is, all that stuff's super interesting. Well, it's 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 almost could turn into like a Cable Hope situation. It could. That's yeah, exactly. It almost could turn in that way. Which would be really cool if it did, because it makes me wonder like what exactly. I mean, we know she saw something, but is this mind-wiping stuff been going on, did that cause her to be mute? Like, what exactly, like, has she always been that way? We don't know enough about her well, either. And when they said maybe she was trying to wipe her mind, or they were trying to wipe her mind, right. so she wouldn't be this target anymore. But to was, what end? Yeah. Like, how do you prove that? Or, so, or uh, in, Mom actually told him, hey, about that. I won't go there. Yeah. Never mind. No, no, yeah, no. There is, there's, <clears throat> a, there's a point in there, but, yeah. So, anyway. Anyway, okay. yeah, I, I would give it a four. It was, I thought it was pretty good. And we haven't seen something from Devil's Do again come out that has this pop to it. I think it's awesome. Yeah, because they've been floundering. Yeah, they have some books that are good, but they just it doesn't seem like they have a normal pattern for things. So I'm pretty happy with this one, though. Uh, Rob? Yeah, I think I'd give it a 3.5 as well. I really do like the look of the book. I think they got something here that's really going to be a great story. So we'll see. But, I mean, Jimmy Pamiela, you know, it's... He's already got the creds, so, you know. Well, he's been around for a while, it's true. Him and both Gray's been around for a while, too. Yeah. Like I was saying, they, the two of them have done a lot of projects together, so. But, I mean, it, it's a great idea, and it's nice to see that they, like, I think they have a really good idea where they're going with it, so. Didn't didn't he do Jeremiah Harm? Is that him or right? Oh, man, I don't remember that. Right. Maybe? I don't remember that. I'll get back. All right. <laughs> All right, let's uh, move on to uh, Batman 50. It's from the old DC Comics with the Batman. In theory, this is the last Snyder, Kapalua, Batman title. At least for a while. You know, I, I have to imagine they'll eventually put them together again. But... No, it's Keith Giffen. Oh, for the uh, Jeremiah Harm? My bad. That's all right. It's a matter of figuring out the answer to the question. Uh, but yeah, issue 50, giant size issue from uh, 
Detective Com or for Batman. And as far as like setups concerned, we all know that <clears throat> Scott Snyder is a golden boy over at DC at this point because he's good. And I mean, Capullo, the two of them have been doing most of the series. I want to say there's maybe like three books that he didn't do. Uh, but as far as setup at this point, we're re-entering with Bruce being the Bat. And uh, as far as the, the start's concerned, like there's a lot of inner monologue in this book. A lot of Bruce talking to himself and visualizing what his pattern is going to be to take care of what the problem is. And if you don't currently know where you're at in the Batman, for a while Bruce has been out of the scene. And I had something that happened back in uh, 45, I think, or 40, issue 45. And uh, that's caused him to be sidelined uh, up to this point. And uh, we've had his buddy Jim Gordon standing in trying to be Batman. And that has not gone so well for Mr. Jim. Um, but battle-wise, we start out, we're in the thick of things already. Uh, we've got Bloom, uh, the current villain of the hour, wreaking havoc through the city and destroying this everything. And no one can seem to do anything to him. Like, everybody, he's got himself integrated to where he, he has access to the control of the bat suits that the police are using. And he manages to use them against themselves. Uh, or against the random people, too, citizen-wise. And there's a whole lot of gloom and doom, gloom and doom, and then we get to the reveal of, of here's the bat again. And now crooks can believe it, and they initially assume it's not true, and he rules them. Like, awesome style. And we've got a little ship, different different look to his costume. Yeah, it's the, a little... The new Batman suit. The new Batman suit. Looks cool, though. Um, but he winds up saving Jim, tells Jim he needs to go to the hospital... Um, Jim, of course, doesn't want to do that, and so he handcuffs Jim to the helicopter, lets him know that he's got a device on there that once he sees that the helicopter is there, he will unlock the handcuffs, but it will not allow Jim not to go to the hospital. And off Batman goes, and as we're doing this, we get to run into another couple characters we've been dealing with. In the We Are Robin book, we deal with Duke, um, Duke, whose last name I don't remember now. I've messed it up so many times, I've called him the wrong... Last name, so... He's he's the main character in the We Are Robins book. And he's been in and out of this storyline. Um, it's Duke Thomas, that's what it is. Yeah. So, Duke, he's run himself into uh, another character in the book that we've been dealing with. And we wind up finding out that Mr. Bloom's plan has gone a lot farther back. Um, in order not to just totally spoil that part of the story, i got to skip past some stuff... Otherwise, it, the entire thing will be explained. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, we've been wondering who Bloom was for a while. Right. And and this gives us some background. A little bit, yeah. Um, but as, as all that stuff's going on, of course, we have some more Bruce taking out giant robots because he's fighting, well, not giant, well, some of them are giant, I guess. Yeah, at least but one of them. he winds up having to battle the police robots because Bloom is controlling them. And so we had that go on for a little while. Um... Duke gets to fight another character, too. The same one we were talking about before. And uh, he learns a few more things about Bloom that we can use to try to stop Bloom. And, like, how he actually functions and works. Uh, ultimately, I mean, there's there's so many, like, random giveaways in this issue that it's really, really huge issue, and there's a lot of ground that gets covered. Art's awesome. Book's awesome. We have a point where uh, Duke parachutes out of the helicopter to get away from what's happening, and, of course, the parachute gets taken out by Bloom. So we get the first, like, real run-in with Bats and, and Duke at the same time. Because up to this point, Duke really hasn't dealt with Bats. He knows he's, he knows him, because everybody knows Batman. But as far as, like, 
the two of them dealing with each other person to person. Kind of the first time I get that in this book, mm-hmm. which is really pretty cool. Yeah, they've, they've had... Well, back when the Joker story happened, but not the, since Bruce has been gone and since he's become a Robin, there's been no no trial there. So, yeah, whatever Joker tried to turn him into a Joker or into his own Batman. Yeah. That's been like, I don't know, 40 issues ago? Been a minute. Anyway, um, of course, at this point, I gotta stop because if I don't, if I do, don't go any, if I go any farther, it's gonna give it the entire ending. And, uh, you know, we're gonna keep status quo a little bit. Yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of crazy things that happened this issue, but probably one of the things I liked the most was the bat suits can all be changed to look different. Well, their color scheme, anyway. Right. And so when Bloom gets involved with it, he changes them all into villains that Batman would recognize. And I thought that was actually super cool. Because it is. You you get a different look for each one, uh, and they're all you know pretty close to. There's only one of them, I think, that's like a questionable Batman known villain. Because, I mean, there's there's the Penguin, and there was Two-Face, and there's Killer Croc, and there's probably Firefly. The other one, I think, is like Zurinar Batman, which is weird. Oh, with the split colors, yeah, I think it probably <laughs> that's, is. I think that's Two-Face. It's this one here that I'm... Oh, maybe. You know, but, I don't know what that one is. Yeah, and of course the big one, the giant Batman. Well, which is the which is the Joker. Yes, yes. Yeah, when which, the color changes happen, they they do look cool, but yeah, yeah, they're indicative of villains. Yeah, it was a super cool take that they threw in there. So, but no, I, it's a great book, and they make a lot of good observations that are going to lead Batman forward from here. Things that actually were benefiting from his time away. Right. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of reveals, so we don't want to give much away. From yeah, this. Any, any more any more than the base the basic wills we just gave you gives you the whole car, so can't do it. Uh, book wise, I, I give it a five four and a half. I mean, I, I I love Batman, which shouldn't be any secret to anybody. But as far as like the storyline's concerned, I love these two guys doing Batman. And I'll give you some some stuff I thought was questionable as far as the stories, but as far as like an issue, this one's a really good issue and like a return kind of issue. It's awesome. Just great. So I give it four and a half, and I'm going to quit talking. Rob, your turn? You know what? Actually, I, I think I'd go all out on it. I'm, I'd give it a five. Love this team. There was things I thought they were going to do that they didn't do. They walk out on this really, really high. It would have been very simple for this to fall into the, the back step that a lot of comics do, where they try something different and it didn't work, and they just try to fix everything as fast as they can. This wasn't that. This seems like they had this plan the whole time. And I feel like they walk out on this and leave it for somebody else to come over and work on Batman instead of ending it so hard that no one else can follow. Well, that's a good point. I mean, we got at least two more issues of the series with, with Scott still. And we do know he's going to be moving to Detective after the whole rebirth thing happens. I want to say 52 has got Raphael Albuquerque doing the art, so that'll be a beautiful book. I can't remember who's doing 51. It might, it might be him also. But uh, as far as books are concerned, yeah, it lives on a high note, but it's not a high note that is unfollowable. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Curtis? <clears throat> I'll give it like a three and a half. It's not a bad book, um, but Rob's right. It, it leads, it doesn't put a hard stop on Batman. It doesn't look like they're trying to fix everything that came before because it was a successful run for 50 issues so far. Right. So... Yeah, three and a half. All right. Mr. Ross? I'd give it a four. Uh, 
like you guys have already said a whole bunch. The art's really good and the writing's really good. And there's some pretty crazy twists in the book, and and they are leaving it where someone else can pick up. Um, just a really quick question: in one of the futures, wasn't Duke actually his Robin? Okay, I just yeah, wanted to make there sure. Was, I was there was a huge story that. where he was the Robin. Yeah, okay, quite possible. There is one thing that I I didn't say that I think is is cool that we can throw in there, which was uh, pretty early on. Jim Gordon had mentioned his superpower, the ability to grow a mustache really fast. Nice. Which we get to have play out in this story, too. That's awesome. It's there, ridiculous, but I love that it came back. There's a callback to it, that's true. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> so silly. <laughs> Sometimes the stupid stuff is Yeah, well. it's fine. But yeah, it's an awesome book, and if you, if you haven't checked out the Batman 52 run... Uh, you really should, because it's, it's awesome. Where's Capullo going? He's he's going to work on an independent book with someone for six issues, but he said he'll be back doing DC stuff eventually. What if it's the Creech? You know, it that'd be really be. cool he if it was. He's gonna bring it back. That'd be cool if it did. The Creech was great. Yeah. So, he he has said, I just don't remember the name of what book it is. Damn it, Ross, that should have been news. I think the Creech would have been like, it would have stuck out to you, though. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know if, did Move you ever read on. the original Creech? Uh-oh. It was during the spawn It's only run. three issues. Yeah. No, two. Was it just two? I think so. Huh. But yeah, it was It was during his spawn days, so... Good stuff, though, Ross. Reminded me of the 10th. Yeah, well, they... The just tre- with the feel. Yeah. They had, a, they had a similar shape to them. Hmm. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to uh, Hyperion number one. The old Marvel comics. You're gonna have to help me with this one, man. I'm pretty sure this is Chuck Wig Wigdig. Wendig. Wendig. Yeah, he wrote that uh, aftermath book for Star Wars. I really wanted to call him Chuck Wendigo. <laughs> Wendigo. <laughs> <laughs> but written by Chuck Wendig, and art by Nick Varela. Then we got colors by Ermelo Frigigio Jr. I'm sorry if I killed your name. Your colors are fantastic, though, by the way. <laughs> um, artwork for the book actually is great. It is good, yeah. So coming out of I guess, Squadron Supreme 5, Hyperion basically decided he wanted to have a more normal life and kind of figure things out, and so he winds up going off and becoming a trucker. Um, and so what we encounter here is him and his civilian guys pulling into a truck stop and um, we have this kid who's trying to bum a ride off of him. And he's pretty uninterested in giving the kid a ride. Even tries to offer him money to go, like, get Uber or in a taxi or something. Yeah, he tells her, tells her, Why don't you, you need a ride, why don't you get a taxi? And she's like, uh, there's no taxis out here. And he's like, what about Uber? And she's like, uh, yeah, not here either. Crazy blue hair girl. She basically manipulates her way into having him give her a ride. Pretty much because she's convinced that he's Hyperion. Yeah, from from all of her inner monologue, it it seems like she's been searching for him on purpose. Which is kind of questionable, but nevertheless, that seems to be what she's been doing. And actually, one of the things that's really great about the writing for this is I feel like Hyperion actually adjusts the way that he talks when he's driving... Because he actually sounds like he's a lot dimmer than he is 
when he's actually Hyperion. They kind of introduce each of themselves, and uh, this new girl that we have in the vehicle is calling herself Doll. He's calling himself Mark. But one of the best things that uh, I think was in the book is, is pretty close to the, the beginning here as we're heading out of town. And we see a giant billboard that says, One Nation Under God, with a whole family standing in front of a... American flag, and every one of them has a machine gun or a handgun, including little Jimmy and Susie. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. So funny. It is. And we kind of find out a little bit of why Doll is running uh, as she has these kind of nightmares of whatever her family is putting her through. But most of this book is, is kind of dealing with the the question of whether or not this is actually Hyperion or not, and whether or not he can get her away from this family. As we get a little bit further into the book, we start finding out that this uh, this family that she's running from, well, they may not just be your average runaway family type things. They, they seem to be like a horror circus kind of. They're crazy carny folk. Yeah, with uh, with powers mostly, most of the time. Well, abilities, you know. Yeah. Uh, we also find out that Hyperion is... Uh, he, He's trying to turn over a new leaf, where he's not using violence as like his first answer, but it's still there. It's, it's a good way to describe it. Not the first answer. Not the first answer. Which, if you're reading Squadron Supreme, oh yeah. Oh my god, it's always the first answer, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, that's a big deal for him there. Pretty much as the book goes, it kind of devolves down to almost like a Mad Max-style race with the carny folk trying to get to the to the truck to uh, to steal back doll and um let's see what what old mark does to get out of this you know it winds up being a pretty cool story i i like how they they played it out i'd probably give it a probably give it like a three okay you know actually i enjoyed the story more than i normally would have I, i'm not usually a big fan of hyperion to begin with but i thought it played out really well and i, I liked the take I kind of like the idea of people who, who want to do bad things, finding out that the person that was their victim is much more than they bargained for. Right. So. Right on. Uh, this is Curtis. Hi. Hey. <laughs> oh, score? Yes, please. You know, I like Hyperion. I have always have. But uh, I just... He just needs to be written right. And I think Chuck's on the right way. Um, I liked... I liked it when it was with, uh, in the Avengers, I think it was. Right. Just this recent, maybe within a year? The mo Yeah, uh, right prior to... Uh, the Secret War. Yeah, prior to Secret yeah. Wars. I think he was written very well on that. Um, hopefully this will continue that. I'm going to give it about a three, like Rob. Okay. Mr. Ross? I am going to agree with everything that's already been said and give it a three as well. Why is Asia get to go first, Ross? One of these days. And then I can't agree with anyone. Nope. Who knows what score we'll get that day. <laughs> oh my gosh. Cornflakes. Cornflakes. That's not a score. What you eat for breakfast. Oh. Yeah, that's true. Oh my god. Um, you know, I yeah, I give it a three also. A pretty good book. I mean, for first first issue, it makes you... Hyperion is part of the, the Squadron Supreme, or is part of the Avengers. During that Avengers run that um, ran for, oh, I don't know like 40 issues it was great um this this particular issue is really cool i like the idea of them turning over the leaf i think that's a an interesting 
take, because you basically have a guy who's just, if you don't know who Hyperion is in general, he's basically Superman. Basically. But with a lot different moral code. I mean, violence being the first option, generally how he handles things. I mean, the, the biggest catch for me in this issue is the last line he says in the first issue, which I'd love to give it to you, because it, it's awesome. But I think it's going to set the tone for the rest of the book, so you really should check it out, because the last line's great. I always, um, I always viewed him as, like, uh, Marvel's Ultraman. Okay. To DC's Superman. Yeah, yeah. He was more in that vein. Yeah, a lot, yeah, the alt, Superman from Earth 3. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. <clears throat> but yeah, character-wise, I mean, he's he's an interesting character. And like I said, I like I like the last line in the, in this issue. It's I think it's a great book-wise. Like I said, I'll give it a. They said three, right? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Three. Yeah, yeah. Olay. You agreed with Ross. That's right, because I agree yep. with Ross. Damn it, Ross. Total I, I agreed with everyone else. Hey, <laughs> nice. see, look at that. It's all a giant circle. <sighs> all right. Well, that was a that was interesting book stuff. Uh, Hyperion is number one, so if you want to start there, book-wise, you'd be okay. You don't have to read the Squadron Supreme stuff. No. There is a pretty good write-up page at the beginning gives you a little bit of a go-between on the back end of Hyperion. That's not the right way to say that. Read the first page if you don't know who he is. That's better? Sure. Don't use the words yeah, back end. That's better. Unless yeah. you're talking about where Bilbo Baggins is from? Is that the same thing? <laughs> like that's, that's Baggins instead of oh, Baggins. Oh, see, and again, I don't understand what's going on. What are you talking about? Exactly. See, this is why I don't listen to you. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. Wah, wah, wah. All right, well, uh, see, we, this last week I went out to the Silicon Valley Comic Con, uh, their first first uh, annual, I guess. I guess we'll see if that happens next year. Uh, pretty good show. Um, as far as size is concerned, if you've been to Denver or been to Salt Lake, is comparative size-wise. Um, but, yeah, so while I was out there, I got a chance to talk to Mick Gray for a little bit, and uh, I want to go and run that uh, interview for you guys right now. Right, this is Steve with Top Five Comics Podcast. I'm here today with Mick Gray. I'm the comic book inker. I've been working 26 years with DC Comics, and right now we're just finishing up a 50 issue run with Batman and Robin and uh, Robin Son of Batman. Right, right. Yeah, for our friend Pat Gleason. Which, um, yes, my buddy Pat, amazing guy. I've worked with him for five years now, and we're just doing some great work. <laughs> Kicking along. Well, you guys in Tomasi did a whole lot of that. Batman and Robin run, but Ben Gleason doing most of the Robin son of Batman, which has been fun. Exactly. It's been a great run, and uh, it, I can't say enough about this team. I mean, that you can see that we've stuck together this long, and there's a reason for that, because we, we work well together, the quality is there, which everybody's looking for, and uh, fantastic people to work with, too. Right, right. Well, yeah, Pat, Pat and uh, Tomasi both worked together for like seven years on Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, so. well, I know Tomasi from way back. I know he was an editor in the old days oh, and edited yeah, me right, and J.H. Right. Williams, okay. you know, uh, on, you know, fill-ins and stuff that we did for DC back, you know, 20 years ago, something like that. So. Sure, so the, so the whole relationship's a lot deeper and than that's, that. Yeah, and that's how uh, Pat met him, too. Pat was working at, uh, under him. Uh, Peter brought him on as a penciler early as an editor, and they struck up a friendship, and then all of a sudden started working together writer penciler. Oh, see, I didn't have any idea about that. Yeah. That's cool. Pete's got some good experience in this business where he sees it from the backside, too, what it's like to be an editor for many years, and then writing. Me and J.H. Williams actually uh, illustrated a Flash annual that Pete wrote 
as, I think, a screenplay. He originally wrote this story, kind of a future story as a screenplay for Hollywood. Nobody wanted it, and then he took it and adapted it to a Flash annual. I think it was one of Pete's first things that he really tried to do, and we illustrated it. It's a great piece. Well, I think somebody brought one around yesterday for me to sign, but it's a standalone kind of Elseworlds Flash story that's wonderful, one of my favorite things I ever worked on, and me and J.H. Williams illustrated that year. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Right on. So I've known him for a long time, too. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, okay, so for guys you've worked with, um, do you have a favorite, or is there somebody that you... I mean, yeah, it's hard to pick a favorite in a room full of Let's name favorites. a few. Let's say, you know, let's say J.H. Williams, okay. Frank Scirocco, okay. uh, Ryan Sook, right. Barry Kitson, Patrick Gleason, Lieber <laughs> Mayho. These guys are some of the top guys in the right. business. There are not many guys that are better. They're guys that don't even need anchors, but True. they take me on, let's say, because of a... a, a where you have to get things done quicker, so an anchor comes on in that situation too. So what it tells me is they trust me. You know, when you feel that kind of trust, yeah, when they trust you enough to bring you on their beautiful art and put your ink over it, it's an amazing thing. I love all of them so much. Um, You know, Ryan Sook is one of the guys that I always thought that my line work fit perfectly with what he did. I always liked him. Me and Pat fit really perfectly also. It's just that kind of thing where it's like, oh my God, when, when it works, don't it mess works. with it, yeah. you know, you, and you, you feel the energy of the two <laughs> artists come together. You go, unbelievable. But eight years with J.H. Williams, too, was a, was a long run, and it was a, he's not the easiest guy to work with, you know, he's very demanding, sure. you know, and he demanded a lot of me, but that pushed me forward, and he taught me, I still use many things that he taught me. In, on, on Batman and Robin stuff today. Well, sure, any challenges you, man. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, to, to, to be, that's what you want as an artist. You want to be pushed a little bit. I mean, even though I like to be, you know, just grooving <laughs> along, not even thinking about what I do. If you pushed a little bit to do right. something new and innovative, that's where it's at. Sure, sure. Well, okay, so then in that case, how about more of a, is there something you would like to think that you haven't? I love guys like, my, one of my favorite guys is Steve Rude, and you know, he, he's one of the one, there's great guys that ink themselves and nobody else ever inks them. Sure. I think he's had people ink them a couple times, but that's a guy that I've always been, wow, that style, that really fluid, light, alive style, I've always wanted to ink him. And, um, a guy that I love that I don't think I'd want to ink, my, one of my favorites is Brian Bolin, you know, I love oh, his man. work so okay. much, okay. and he handles himself by hand and now by digital so right. perfectly <laughs> I wouldn't want to get in the way of that but well, I was going to say yeah, a lot of his newer stuff is digital stuff so. yeah, and you can't still tell good. the difference no man he's one know. of the only guys that ever crossed over to digital and you didn't notice well it's just so clean still I'm like no yeah he's fairly impressive one of the greats ever yeah but I mean I don't really like it's scary to ink new guys you sure. know I like that's why you see me with you know Williams for 8 years and Barry Kitson for 25 issues and uh, Ryan Sook for many issues, and now uh, over 50 issues with Pat. Because when you get, when I get to a point of feeling comfortable, then the confidence level goes through the roof. Oh sure. And then I'm not worried, and I'm not tentative, and that's the last thing you want to be as an anchor is to be tentative. You, then the lines have to be alive. You know? Right. That's true. So. Uh, so, was there? Okay. So in, in general, like your wise. What, was there a point where you're just like, this is what I'm, this is what I want to do, or is this is my like, story? How did you, I mean, origin I love, story? Yeah, I love my my origin story because it's so unorthodox. I think, you know, I was a technical illustrator, uh, went to college for technical illustration, got into Silicon Valley in '76, okay. uh, was working 
you know, when I was, wasn't in school, all hours, and then after I got out of school, I was working full-time in the Silicon Valley. Worked for the same company for 10 years. They went bankrupt. I took all that uh, contacts that I made and started my own technical illustration business in the Bay Area here and worked that for 15 years. Oh, man. Until I was bored out of my my <laughs> head drawing fingers pushing cards into, you know, slots or whatever. Okay. So it was like, God, how can I do this the rest of my life? And then my best friend comes over and goes, hey, there's this guy, Dan Votto, uh, Slave Labor Graphics in San Jose, okay. um, starting up. Maybe you can do some backgrounds for him. And I went, that might be fun. I can't make any money at it, but maybe it'll right. be fun. So I brought my technical portfolio down, showed it to him. He goes, yeah, you can do, we'll hire you to do backgrounds and cars and stuff. And that was just like a snowball from there. I started <laughs> meeting more artists that needed that. Right. For, for eight years, all I did was just backgrounds for people. It's like finishing. Yeah. yeah. I went in, and they'd do the figure and send me the page, and I'd finish it off. And then all of a sudden, through that, met editors. Got my first few, I think my first fill-in pages were on that, uh, no, uh, Punisher 100 was a special oh, okay. issue, and it was just, I don't even remember the artist, but it was really scary, it was like unfinished pencils, and I just like had to barrel, barrel through it in one weekend, get it done, you know, it was like two or three pages, oh, man. and that was just the snowball, I just, from there, I, all of a sudden, editors started calling, and I never looked back, at one point, I went to my clients in Silicon Valley and said, I'm getting into comics, and they laughed. And they said, you'll be back, we'll see you right, in a little right. while. And I, I've never done Silicon Valley work since then. I've, I adjusted wow. my life to be accommodate, you know, probably less money I'd make, but to be able to do this, you know, since, you know, chills up your spine work every day. Sure. To work on Batman that I've loved since I was 10 years old. That's awesome. There's, I'm willing to adjust my life to anything to do that, <laughs> and as long as my family is willing to adjust too with me, you know. So. Well, sure, yeah. It's worked out. Now I'm much more comfortable now, you know, that I have so many books in print, you know, stuff that I've worked on for over 26 years. You start to get a little bit of residuals in the mail. It's not like crazy or anything, but at least a little. Sure, when that helps collected out. or whatever, yeah. All the collected stuff, he's very good at keeping things in print, you know, which is wonderful. I love him for that. So it's a crazy story, you know. I was a, trained good, as a technical illustrator and fell into this. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. Yeah. So do you, did you like doing, I mean, as far as, like, backgrounds or finishing, do you prefer... I mean, at this point, I guess, do you prefer to finish things, or do you prefer to do, well, like, what do you like better? You know, there, you know, you, you, that term, finisher, you have to define, because there's inkers and finishers. Finishing, you have uh, unclear pencils right. that people can't, that a person really goes, well, what did he want to do? Which way did he want to go on that? So uh, you have to kind of fix them, right. maybe a little bit, add to them, and finish them in ink at that point. So like um, that lamppost or a tree kind of thing? Yeah, you don't know okay. sometimes, you know. I call my penciler a lot and go, uh, could you explain what you were drawing here, you know? And that kind of, that's the kind of thing that if the penciler defines it perfectly in pencils, then all I'm trying to do is capture them. And when I capture a penciler and he calls me and goes, that's exactly what I was looking for, I feel very good about that. Sure, that I've yeah. done my job, you know. But yeah, I prefer working over guys that are really all there. And Patrick is. Patrick and me have a relationship now, so he can lean back <laughs> a little and go, I know Mick's going to do this, Sure. and I don't, I don't have to worry about that. But when you're trying to really nail the art, a lot of the time, you know, pencilers will just really, you know, hone in on the pencils and get them just right so the inker doesn't have to think about it. Right. And you're just putting the snap and the life into it with, with ink. Um, I prefer well-done pencils where I don't have to um, fix things. Sure. I don't consider myself an artist, and that's what you need to be to fix stuff, you know. I consider myself a technician, a specialist that knows how to use these tools, knows how to 
attack and uh, get certain effects and textures and things like that. Sure, with yeah, yeah, okay. And I can do that for because I've been doing it for 26 years. But when it comes to, <laughs> you know, fixing some anatomy, oh my God, I'm just I'm, I'm seriously terrible about that. Kind of stuff. I'm lucky I've gotten as far as I have with as little uh, um, artistic. Um, experiences I have. Well, you have the ability to bring like lines to life, though, man. That's, that's it. That's the thing. That's it, because that's very important. My, you know, Frank Sirocco always said to me, you want the snap in the look. That word was the okay. word, but we always remember, and I teach up at the Academy of Art in San Francisco, and I teach, you know, two things you need, you need or three things, let's say, confidence, patience, and snap. You need those three things. <laughs> right. If you can pull it off with that, man, you really, that's all you really need, man. So... So yeah, that's that's the thing, and I and I like nice clean pencils. And the, most of the guys I work with, oh my God, I, I rarely they DC knows that they rarely throw at me stuff that's unfinished, you know. So. Sure, right on, man. Well, that's awesome, actually. <laughs> it's fun, it's, and like I say, teaching that is a is a wonderful thing, you know. I, I love keeping this this alive because it could go away, you know. Digital. Is a, is a kind of thing, it's completely different. Right. So the way I teach my class is, you're learning this by hand so that you know how to adjust your stylus on your ah, pad. Okay. If you just go directly to digital, I got a stylus, I got the tools, I'm gonna be a cartoonist or whatever. The same thing. You don't know what a brush does. No, you yeah. don't know what a pen does. To really know how to attack that digital version of it, you can design your stylus brush tips. Sure. And once you know what a brush does, you could probably get very close with your digital. Well, if you don't know how the actual tool works, the tools are the, like the digital or stylus. Yeah. The way that you design them, they're built to work like yeah. the real things. So, so if you don't know how the real things work, then you don't have the first step. Yeah, so at the Academy of Art, I'm getting a good rep as the guy that you can go to and kind of <laughs> learn this stuff, you know. And it's it's a fun class. It's, it, I really love teaching and, and, and passing what the, you know, the little bit I do know on. Well, that's awesome, man. Yeah. That's great. It's not much you can teach. It's a lot of time. I tell them, if you want to learn to do this, you're not going to learn it in this 15 weeks. It's going to be over the period of the next few years that it really comes into play, and you'll just use what I teach you in 15 weeks. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. If you were trapped on a desert island, what five items would you take with you? Oh. Items can also be people. Okay. I'd have to have my wife and my daughter with me. That would make it nice. Right. That's two, right? Yep. The next one would be the most bitchin' boombox. So, <laughs> so that, and it has the best, now I don't have to bring the music with me because it has the best connections to connect me with all the great radio stations around the world. Right, so right, okay. That at all, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't need really to bring the music with me, but that's, that's, that's four, right? Um, let's do so yeah, three. Was that three? The boombox will we oh, yeah. this that's music just with. One. Yeah. You have a solar panel to run the boombox? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's still that's, three. That's, oh, perfect. I'm really going good You're now. You're doing good. Now, it's a small island. Do I have any food? Oh, I'm just thinking there's animals. There may be indigenous <laughs> Okay, so I can kill animals and eat <laughs> vegetables off the island, so I don't right? have to bring that with me. A guitar. Okay. That's four, right? Yeah. What else do I need? I can make my own ink and brushes out of the tools on the island. That's true. <laughs> I can still do art. I can do art in the sand. Right. You know. Cave art, you know. Yeah, God, this is tough for the fifth fifth item. What would I need? A, a Jack Kirby anthology. Oh. <laughs> All right. A big one that would a keep me one. at okay. least in one book, you know, to have that I know that I have some great art with me. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. If you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? Are you talking about Fantasyland at Disneyland or some kind of strange Fantasyland? Like, 
Let's just go with Fantasyland in general, not necessarily this is the an place. Odd, odd question. It is. <laughs> Would I ride the chocolate bar? Yes. This sounds like a sexual innuendo. It's not. I swear it's not. But I can see you're not the first one to stop that. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that. You Dan, know Dan what? Dan said the I'm same gonna thing. I'm going to be very, very naive and, and, and just go... I would love to ride the chocolate pony. It just sounds like fun because I could chew on his ear. Oh, right. Gonna... Why don't you read Melto? I mean, it's Fantasyland, so I guess maybe not. It's it's, it's chilly in Fantasyland, in ah, my Fantasyland. All right. <laughs> That's perfect. Dan Jurgen said the same thing. In, in your window, and I'm like, no, Dan, it's just, no. Okay. I love it. It makes us think. <laughs> right? Well, let me throw out your website. Um, it's mickgray.net. Oh, yeah. uh, net. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Facebook all the time. So just look for Mick Gray on Facebook and, uh, you know, friend me. I, you find out about a lot of stuff. And next week, you know, uh, WonderCon, they announced a huge project. We are going to be going on to a really big D.C. Uh, deal. So... You know, stay tuned. You might hear about it real soon all over the place. <laughs> That's awesome. Wish I could talk about it. No, it's understandable. <laughs> right, well, thanks, man. I appreciate the time. Sure. That was Mr. Mick. And, uh, again, I want to thank Mick for taking time to chit-chat a little bit while we were out there. He did, did a little bit of art for me, too, which was awesome. Um... Great guy, super fun to talk to. Uh, yeah, awesome stuff, dude. Let's see. So, what do we got next to do? Uh, books to watch, or yeah. let, let's do. Uh, we'll, we'll do that last. We'll do that last. How we go with uh, Rob? What did you learn today, Rob? Oh my gosh. <laughs> You know, I learned that if Gordon could take his mustache off, he could throw it at bad guys and subdue them. That is a very good point. Curtis, what did you learn today? Nothing. <laughs> Wrong answer, Curtis. Curtis learned nothing today. It's uh, sad. Uh, did you like the way Sprite tastes when you drink it? I learned what a Hammond was, but... Oh, well, there you go. That's something. That's what, what, what is, is a Hammond? Hammond? It's a hardening mark on steel. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, you guys don't care about that. But. No, that's, good. that's good to know. Pretty good. I bet Cyborg has a Hammond. Probably. <laughs> see why not. Mr. Ross, what did you learn today? I learned what a Hammond was. <laughs> that happened like literally two seconds ago. That's good. That's good. Oh, my God. So what did I learn today, Curtis? Nobody cares. Oh, oh go ahead. What did you learn? sad. <laughs> no, no. I was asking you to tell me what I learned. Oh, Evidently, you learned. Apparently, I learned nobody cares. That's a sad, sad state of affairs. Yeah, I don't know what did you learn. That's, I guess that's pretty much it. How come well, everybody else had to learn something and you don't know how? Well, that's just how the system works, I guess. What did you learn from your conversation tonight about movies? Uh, when Jim was here. Uh, oh, that the hateful eight. I have real problems with. You already knew that. Oh, what did I learned from Jim. Oh, it had to do with the sound effect, didn't it? Uh, laughing. Well, yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Bam, 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 bam. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Not God, this is digressing into crap. It's getting to be worse. <laughs> All right, let's do books to watch. Uh, Rob, books to watch, go. Oh, jeez. Um, there's going to be a whole lot of Rebirth books that are going to come out that should be good. <laughs> Such a terrible book, man. It's going to come out like <laughs> Rebirth. <laughs> Don't eat it. It's weird. <laughs> Sorry. She just call it DC Placenta.
<laughs> it, yes, why not? Um, but there, there should actually be a lot of good books that are going to come out from that. Plus, Captain America Steve Rogers is going to be coming out here pretty soon, oh, which looks like it's going to be really good. Who's going to have a cover for that, Steve? Oh, um, it was a variant cover by uh, Mr. Jim Stranko. It should be fantastic. We learned that today. Hey, there's sure. something else, because I told you that earlier. Uh, also, Moon Knight still going to be coming out, which should be fantastic. Uh, Iron Man, uh, yes, Iron Fist and Power Man <laughs> continuing to be awesome. Uh, dude, that second issue is hilarious. <laughs> oh my god! Like your power, your uh, Power Man and Iron. Or your, she says you're Iron Man and Power Fist, and uh, Danny's like, I don't know. Luke says. No, it's Power Man and Iron Fist, but I don't go by that anymore. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, and also, the Thunderbolts are going to get another chance to come out, which I think is going to be fantastic. So, What are they going to go back to? Are they going to go back to the original? You know what? It looks like a lot of the original characters, but the Winter Soldier is going to be a part of it. Because I think they had Atlas on there, too. Yes. Atlas and Mach 5 or 6 or whatever yeah. they by now. And the Fixer and Moonstone and so I mean like it, it looks like most of the original cast plus Bucky, so Citizen V. No Citizen V. It'd be cool if it was though. Yeah, it'd be it'd be pretty interesting. They'd have to bring in a new person for that though. A new character to take the moniker. Yeah. Well, did they ever kill the original Citizen V? Because I mean oh, it was no. it was Baron Zemo, but yeah. it was right. proved that there was another Citizen V he stole the identity from. Yeah, we oh, never. Right. I don't think they ever answered that. No. Anyhow, though, Marvel's got Marvel's got some good stuff that's going to be coming up soon, so I, I'm looking forward to that. All right. Who's Curtis? Well, I'm behind the ball in reading, but I did pick up uh, First Venom, Space Knight, and Drax. And, uh, I, I don't know, they're okay. I think Venom tried to fit a lot in, into one book, uh, but I think it's going to be a fun read. Um... Drax, I don't know, it seemed okay. <laughs> um, Howling Commandos, The Shield. A lot of Marvel, huh? Yeah, sorry. Um, But I haven't read a lot of Independent for a while. And those were the first books I read in, like, months. So, But they were good. Look out for those. Well, read in your, your own time. I read in my own time, yes. Of course. <laughs> Mr. Ross, tell me something about books. Well, uh, right before this, we found out about Wacky Raceland, and I wasn't originally super, super interested in that one, and now that I've seen pictures, that one looks like it'll be really cool. Um, all the Hanna-Barbera ones, again, all look like they're going to be awesome. I actually saw a variant cover for, or it might not be a variant, it might be the regular cover for Flintstones by Dustin Nguyen. Oh, man. And that yeah. looks really cool. Pebbles and Bam Bam were on it. Huh. Yeah, it looks awesome. Which, I mean, it's important to understand that, like, when you're talking to this many comic people, and we're talking about, like, Johnny Quest and Wacky Racers mm. and being excited about it, you really should take note. I know it's really easy to go, oh, well, you know, that's, you know, kid stuff or whatever, and not think about it. Mm. But I don't I don't think that. I think these are going to be really important. Good issues. I yeah. can't say they're really going to be like super important issues, but I think they're going to be something that people are really going to be interested in. So give them a shot. Don't wait for somebody else to tell you. You know, spend some time looking at these things. 
Yep. Sorry, continue. No, you're good. So those ones look really awesome. Um, and then going into right before Rebirth, I guess Tomasi is writing a six issue six issue Superman crossover event thing that's kind of going into explaining what'll happen in Rebirth. Um, split between Superman action and Batman Superman, I think. So that's two parts like a crossover, not like a miniseries, but a crossover. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. Which, you know, I was thinking earlier that he hasn't really written Superman, but Superman Wonder Woman. Yep. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. So, there goes my theory. <laughs> so those are my big ones to watch for. Yeah, all right. Good choices, Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, I'll, I'll give you Scooby-Doo Apocalypse, which is kind of in Ross's overview. Questionable in that one. I think it'll be great. I don't like the way Scooby looks at all. I don't mind Scooby. Shaggy's beard I'm questioning on. But the rest I'm not of it questionable is fine. about that. He just looks like a hipster. Yeah. Or that a green arrow like he used to look. Not even close. No? Well, yeah. It was a lean. Yeah. If you haven't seen the beard, you should really Google it. Shaggy Beard New 52? No. Shaggy, shaggy Beard DC? Shaggy Beard? <laughs> shaggy yeah. Beard? That's not the right... That's not gonna... Don't, send don't, that as hashtag. Don't... Hashtag Shaggy's Beard New 52. Shaggy's Beard, baby. Shaggy's Beard. Not like a shaggy beard. That's not gonna do anybody any good at all. Never mind, people. Just don't look, look it up. Scooby-Doo Apocalypse. There you go. Yeah. yeah. God. My... Gee, man. Have they released any in, in, inners at all? In not that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. They've shown some, uh, some of the covers, are coming covers out. but that's it. So when when are they supposed to drop again? Uh, I want to say June, yeah. I think. It's, it's, e- it's either May or June. May or yeah. June, uh, somewhere in there. But the space the space quest one looks awesome. Space quest does look awesome. That's that's the one I'm most excited about. Yeah. Ironically enough, since I didn't include it in my books to watch, but. Johnny Quest and the Space Ghost, right? Yeah. Be awesome, Herculoids. Yep. I think that's the, be you know, I, I was never a Hanna Barbera guy either. Yeah. But man, uh, listening to Power Glove and their Johnny Quest opening, they got me into Johnny Quest. Nice. So that's awesome. Metal. You gotta. <laughs> I get connected with metal. <laughs> Hammonds or music, whatever. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh, I still say watch for the Rough Riders. Um, I think that'll be a good book. Um, yeah, I, I got nothing this time around. I don't know what my deal is at all. Whatever it is that Mick, uh, Tomasi, and Pat are working on, say get that. Mm-hmm. People should know that tomorrow sometime. And, and of course, Deadly Class and East to West. All right, yeah, and Black Science. Black Science. Show you some science. I'll turn all this off. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, guys? That's science. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Walking Inter- power. All, walking that. Ananda. <laughs> <laughs> Tiki. 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 Tiki.